Welcome to the Prayer Mentor Podcast, where we are empowering Christian leaders to pray for the harvest. We pray your prayer life will be deepened by this podcast. Today, we are going to begin a series on persistence in prayer. We've talked about abiding in Christ and entering into intimacy and oneness with Jesus so that he could live his life in us and through us and we can bear fruit for the kingdom of God and bring glory to the Father. We've talked about praying for the kingdom. We've talked about exerting spiritual authority against the powers of darkness to advance the kingdom. And we've talked about the fact that our spiritual authority comes from our calling, from the work that Jesus has given us to do. And within that realm of our calling, we have the authority to confront the powers of darkness and advance the kingdom. Now we're talking about persistence in prayer. And I want to suggest to you that when we persist in prayer, we're following the teachings of Jesus concerning prayer. Jesus taught more on the theme of persistence in prayer than any other theme in prayer throughout the Gospels. When we persist in prayer, we are looking to gain a position of authority over the enemy. And throughout our series, we'll be talking about the teachings of Jesus concerning persistent prayer. We'll be talking about the importance of um, persisting in prayer that we may gain a position of authority over the enemy. So specifically today, we're talking about the teaching of Jesus concerning the nature of prayer being asking, seeking, and knocking. When I was a young man in college, I was in a youth group in Southern California, and in the grace and goodness of God, I had a youth pastor, a very godly man of prayer, who mentored me and discipled me in the Christian life. He taught me how to pray for hours. He taught me how to read God's word and hear his voice. He taught me how to memorize whole passages of scripture. One time when I was at a retreat that he was teaching at for high school students, he made a statement, if I can do nothing else for you, I can pray. And those words, the Spirit just seared them in my mind. If I can do nothing else for you, I can pray. Now that godly man, he rose every morning at 2 a.m. He prayed for an hour for everyone in the youth group, named them by name. And as a result, there were 10 of us who went into full-time Christian ministry because of his impact in our lives. So throughout my early ministry, when I would become frustrated because I didn't see the lives of students changing, the Spirit would bring to mind Dave's words, if I can do nothing else, I can pray. And so I began to pray and uh, I got excited. I began making a prayer list and naming each of the students by name and praying for them. And there was this new life within me, this new hope that God would do a work within their lives. But after about three to four weeks, I began to get a little discouraged. Um, they weren't changing. There was no progress. And after about six to eight weeks, I got so discouraged, I, I had to put my prayer list away. My prayer list got so long that it would take me two hours to pray through it. I, I would sometimes pray for as many as 60 people or, or as many as 80 
requests. And I just have to put my prayer uh, list away because it was a reminder of defeat to me that I wasn't seeing transformation um, in my ministry. Months would go by and I would get frustrated with ministry again and uh, Dave's words would come to me. If I can do nothing else for you, I can pray. And so once again, I bring out a new sheet of paper and I'd make a prayer list and I would pray for the students. And I would be empowered again and full of hope and um, just waiting to watch God do something. But after six to eight weeks, I didn't see anything happen. And after 12 weeks, I, I just threw my prayer list away and went about the business of ministry. That was the cycle of my prayer life for 12 years. Um, I would pray uh, for eight to 12 weeks and then I wouldn't pray for several months. I would pray for eight to 12 weeks, wouldn't pray for several months. It was just a defeating cycle of prayer until I read a book, Prayer Key to Revival by Paul Cho. And in his book, he suggested two things. One was that when we study God's word, we need to listen for the Spirit's voice to understand God's word. That was just a remarkable concept for me, and I began praying, Holy Spirit, teach me about the Word of God. And the Spirit began to open my eyes to see the Word in new ways. The second thing I learned from the book was that the nature of prayer was asking, seeking, and knocking. I had been taught that prayer was asking. Now, I'm sure um, my youth pastor taught me that I should listen to God and he taught me about warring and prayer, but somehow what I captured was the asking. And Jesus, as he teaches his followers, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And if we translated it literally, what Jesus said was, ask and keep asking and you will receive. Seek and keep seeking and you will find. Knock and keep knocking, and the door will be open to you. Jesus taught his followers to be persistent in prayer. And I know that there are many who would say, if I have faith, I can ask once, and it's done. I'm going to suggest to you that is logical, but that is not biblical. That is not consistent with the teachings of Jesus. Jesus taught that we're to be asking and keep asking. We're to be seeking and keep seeking. We're to be knocking and keep knocking. And all of a sudden now, as I'm praying for the people God's entrusted to me, I'm not just asking, but I'm seeking. I'm not just asking and seeking, but I'm knocking on doors, recognizing that God, only Jesus can open those doors. So let me talk to you for a minute from Matthew chapter 7, uh, verse 7 through 12 about asking, seeking, and knocking. When we ask, we're making requests for the things that we need. Jesus, in, in the Gospels, taught four conditional promises for answered prayer. And then we see um, uh, the Apostle John teaching a fifth, a fifth conditional uh, promise for answered prayer. Jesus taught his followers that if we ask anything, believing in faith, that it will be done for us. Matthew 21, 21. 
Jesus taught his followers that if we ask in his name, he said, until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and it will be given to you. Um, and actually, the night before Jesus was crucified, five times he said, whatever you ask in my name, it will be given to you. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask whatever you want and it will be given to you. And we see that it's in abiding in Christ and his word abiding in us that we're given insight and we're given power to ask. And there's the promise of answered prayer. Jesus said in the passage we're looking at, Matthew 7, um, verse 7 and verse 8, that if we're persistent in our asking, our seeking, our knocking, it will be given to us. We'll find, we'll, the door will be opened. And then um, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, he said, If we ask anything according to God's will, we know that we have what God, what we have asked for. And so Jesus um, and the scriptures would give us five conditional promises for answered prayer. One, we ask in faith. Two, we ask in the name of Jesus. Three, we're abiding in Christ. Four, we're persisting in prayer. And five, we're asking according to God's will. It is um, part of prayer, the very nature of prayer, is that we would make requests for the things we need. But then Jesus goes on and he says, Seek and keep seeking and you will find. And I want to suggest to you that seeking is pursuing the face of God and listening for his voice. In Deuteronomy, Moses talks about the importance of seeking God with all our heart, and if we do, we'll find him. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. The psalmist, David, uh, talks about seeking God. Um, and in Psalm 27, verse 4, he says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire of him. What does he seek? It's to dwell in the house of the Lord, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire of him. And then later in that passage, he says, You have said to me, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, O Lord, I will seek. And so here again we see when we're seeking from our heart, um, we will find him. And then in Jeremiah, the prophet, he says to those who are returning from dispersion, he says, um, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Jeremiah 29, 13. The very nature of prayer is asking. The very nature of prayer is seeking. It's pursuing the face of, of God. It's pursuing intimacy, oneness with him. And in that place of oneness, we're listening for his voice. We're receiving direction from him. Then Jesus says, knock and keep knocking and the door will be open to you. And I want to suggest to you that knocking is asking Jesus to transform a life, a family, a church, a city, a, a nation. Only Jesus can change a heart. And so when we look at scripture, we see doors and we see gates in heaven. 
Isaac is fleeing Esau. Um, he's going uh, on a journey away from his father and his mother to flee uh, his brother. And he's in the desert and he has a rock for a pillow and, and he has a dream. And the gate of heaven is opened and angels are ascending and descending in a ladder. And what we see is that angels are coming from heaven um, to earth and then they're going back to heaven. Jesus had this very uh, same experience. Not that he had this experience, he foretold it in the last chapter of the Gospel of John. Excuse me, the first chapter of the Gospel of John, verse 51, he's talking to Nathaniel. He says, and you shall see um, heaven's door open and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Then we see in the baptism of Jesus that as he's praying, the Spirit falls upon him as a dove. And it says that heaven's door is opened and the Spirit falls upon him as a dove. Um, there's a door in heaven and the Spirit is being poured out from heaven because a door has been opened. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you won't have room enough for it. Then in the New Testament, we see, Matthew, we see Jesus in Matthew 16 talking about uh, the gates of Hades. Literally, there are doorways to hell. And men and women who are lost, who don't know Jesus, they're imprisoned in the gates of Hades. We see in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, that Jesus holds the keys of David, and he opens doors that no one can shut, and he shuts doors that no one um, can open. What I want to suggest to you is that prayer the very nature of prayer is knocking on a door. And in that knocking, we're asking Jesus to change a life. Now, you and I, many of us, when we pray for people, we pray that their behavior will change. And, and I've taught many times that we shouldn't be praying for their behavior. What we should be praying is for the resources of heaven to come and to um, be poured out in their lives. And so we're knocking on a door and we're asking for angels to uh, descend from heaven and to protect them from the evil one. We're knocking on a door and we're asking for the Spirit to be poured out to reveal Jesus to them. We're knocking on a door and we're asking for God's blessing and peace to come into their lives. Now I want to paint a picture for you. Suppose you and I were in a room and we're at a door that is closed, it's locked, and we can't open that door. We take our bodies and we try and, and push it open, but we can't open that door. How do we get it open? It's only as we knock that the door will be opened from the inside. Those of you who are parents of teenagers, um, of uh, adult children. 
Have you ever tried to change your behavior, the behavior of your children? Try and control them? Um, <clears throat> what, what we end up doing is we get in arguments uh, with our children. Um, they don't want to change. We don't want to change. And it's like trying to walk through a door that's closed. We're walking and we hit the door and we bloody our face and our children get bloodied up. You see, only Jesus can change our children in their behavior. And he does that through the ministry of the Spirit. He does that um, through his high priestly ministry as the author and the perfecter of our faith. He does that as angels protect us and keep us from the evil one. And so when we're praying for people and we want to see their lives change, we can try and storm that gate. We can try and tear down that door, but we can't. It's only Jesus who can open that door. And so do, what do we do? We knock. And what happens when we knock? We wait. And we wait more. You see, there's a battle going on for that door to be opened. And Jesus is working in the life of our children, in the life of our family, in the life of our church, in the life of our city, our state, our nation. And we're waiting for Jesus to be at work. And he transforms our lives. He opens doors that no one can shut. He closes doors that no one can open. And so the very nature of prayer is persistent asking, persistent seeking, persistent knocking. Then in Matthew uh, chapter 7, Jesus goes on and he's talking now about the goodness of God. He says, which of you fathers, if your children ask for bread, would you give him a rock, a stone? And if your children ask for a fish, you wouldn't give them a snake, would you? He then concludes, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? I want to suggest to you that we persist in prayer because we have a confidence that God is good and he loves to give good gifts to his children. The goodness of God is the premise for answered prayer. Uh, I was ministering uh, in a ministry internationally and I was with the founder of this ministry um, and his wife and at one point she turned to me and she, she pointed her finger at me and she says, Clyde, you persist in prayer because you're confident that God is good. And as we had ministered together over the years, that's what she saw. Um, I had a lifestyle of persistently asking, persistently seeking, persistently knocking, doing prayer efforts, a personal lifestyle of prayer. And then uh, a lifestyle of a work of prayer with others doing prayer efforts. And her conclusion was, I knew that God was good. 
Well, our Father God is good. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights with whom there is no shifting shadow of change. When I was a boy, um, I grew up in a, in a family that really didn't have a lot of money. My father, as a young man, customized cars and he had his own business. And he was a craftsman. It was just amazing what he could do in taking a taking a car and making it a roadster. Um, he was so good that he actually had cars in Hot Rod Magazine. Uh, one time I was in a very large library and I had some time and I thought, well, I'm going to go see if, if I can find any of my dad's cars. So I found the stacks of Hot Rod Magazine and I went to 1953, 1954, and sure enough, here's Don Hudson. And, and here's a roadster that he had built. Here was one, he chopped the top and he lowered it. It was, it was just amazing the work that my dad did. Now the problem was my dad's clients were teenage men, teenage boys, and they had a problem with paying their bills. And so at one point, my mom and dad, um, they were confronted with, um, the prospect of going bankrupt. And this was my dad's trade. And so they decided not to go bankrupt. Um, they went to every one of their creditors and they said, listen, we don't know how long it'll take, but if you will allow us, we will pay our debt. And I don't know how big the debt was. I just know that when I was um, 11 and 12 years old, we began wearing nicer clothes and eating better food. Well, as a result, as a boy, um, my brothers and I, we never had bikes. Um, there were four of us. We were born um, within three and a half years. Um, my poor mom, her first uh, birth was twins, my brother Clay and I. Uh, 13 months later, my brother Bob was born. And about 18 months later, my brother Bud was born. And my poor mother had four boys, um, little preschoolers running around. We never had bikes. I can remember playing, playing with two neighborhood kids, Richard and Tommy. And Richard looked at Tommy and he said, let's go to Nico Nico's and get an ice cream. And uh, Nico Nico's in those days was like, uh, it was a liquor store. It was kind of like a 7-Eleven today. And they got on their bikes and they just took off. Well, Tommy's dad saw me and he said, well, Clyde, do you want to ride Tommy's sister's bike? And I looked at him and I said, no, I, I, I'll just go home. There was no way I was going to ride a girl's bike. Well, when I was 10 years old um, with my twin brother, Clay, we were um, celebrating our birthday at the farm where my grandma and grandpa Smaby lived. And when it was time to receive the gifts, grandpa brings out four bikes. Now you got to understand when you have four boys who have been born uh, in less than three and a half years together, when one boy has a birthday, all the boys get gifts or they'll fight over them. And so we're grandpas and it's our birthday and he brings out four bikes and we were so excited. 
we just rode those bikes all around the neighborhood of that farm and just had a great time. But there was a problem. Um, and that was, these bikes were older bikes um, with the large balloon tires. And my grandpa, he got them, he cleaned them up, he painted them. And um, they were great in the farm. But when we came home and we're playing with our friends, they all made fun of us. Because in those days, uh, bikes had little inner tubes. Um, there were Stingray bikes, there were 10-speed bikes, there were three-speed bikes. And here's ours. Um, they were swinge cruisers, which are very popular today. But in that day, they were not that popular. Well, we swall swallowed our pride, and we just rode with our friends. Then, four months later, it's Christmas morning. And we, um, we wake up, we go and look in front of the tree, and to the amazement of myself and my brothers, we saw four 10-speed bikes. They were European bikes. Now, I, I don't know how my dad paid for it. What I'm thinking is that he bartered with someone or with many men, um, that he, somebody had a car that was wrecked, he fixed it up. He was a lead man and just really a craftsman, and, and he uh, repaired all the dents and painted the car, and somebody that he worked for gave him those four 10-speed bikes. Well, I want you to know, when we began riding in the neighborhood, all the neighborhood kids were impressed. We had 10-speed bikes, European bikes with little wheels, and it was great. Now, the point I want to make here is that my father knew what his boys needed, and my father sacrificed in order to give his boys 10-speed bikes. And you know, our Heavenly Father, He loves you. And he knows what you need. And he is good. And he wants to give good gifts to you. And so we ask and we keep asking. And the promise of Jesus is we will receive. We seek and we keep seeking. And the promise of Jesus is we'll find. We knock and we keep knocking and the promise of Jesus is the door will be opened to us. Why do we keep asking, seeking, knocking? It's because God is good and he wants to show his goodness to you. So I want to encourage you, ask the Father and make requests for the things you need. Seek God, pursue his face, and listen for his voice, for what he's doing. Knock. In those areas of your life where you feel powerless, where you want to see lives change, knock and Jesus will open the door. We pray, um, asking, seeking, knocking, because God is good. May the Lord bless you. May you find the goodness of God as you persist in prayer.